It is great to be back with you and hope to see a lot of you tonight at the baptism service. It's always a wonderful time. Um, I I have to get a few thank yous out of the way. It's really important that I do that. I want to thank our elders, our congregational leadership for really insisting on this four-week sabbatical that I do every year that was carried down from when Pastor Rock was here and and here. It is... um, Pastor Rock and I were talking before the service uh, about that sabbatical time, and uh, it's, it's not just four weeks of vacation. I want you to know that. In the, in the days of the head, I'll, I'll share some of you, I'll share with some of you, the, uh, or share with you some of what um, the Lord really just in, impressed on my, on my heart during that time. It's, I take a, about a week vacation with the family, which I'm going to talk about in a moment, but the rest of that time is, is really filled praying um, looking at strategy for a church as a whole and sermon series and cal- calendar and seeking God. And, Lord, what are you saying? Where are you leading us? And so uh, I'll share with that in the days ahead. But it really is uh, rejuvenating for my, my, my health, my, my spiritually, mentally, physically. My wife thanks you. Um, it's a great time for our marriage to reconnect. Uh, I want to thank our staff, too, because they carry a, a lot of that weight and things continue to happen here at the church and things never miss a beat. We have an incredible team. And then for those who fill the pulpit, uh, Pastors Elizabeth and George, Pastor Christian, Ross, Trey, um, can we give them a hand? They did a fantastic job. You know, following Jesus in diverse community means that we should have diverse voices as well. And each one is uniquely gifted, and, and we are blessed as a church to do that. I told you that one of the weeks in, in my time off was um, spent on vacation. My wife and I celebrated 25 years of marriage in August, and we thought one of the best ways to reward ourselves for 25 years is taking our kids with us on vacation. <laughs> We're seeking counseling for that, but... Um, we did have a great time. No, our kids are awesome, and they're, they're adult kids, 22 and 20, and those of you that have adult children know you don't know how many times you have left to take a vacation together. So we took a trip together. I think they even have a picture that they're going to show you, and uh, we did kind of a fun adventure when we were on vacation. Uh, we did some zip lining and road ATVs. That's why we have helmets on. Thankfully, no one lost an appendage, and we, we did great. Um, but one of the things when we go on vacation, um, we, where we went, there, there was a beach and there was a pool. How many of you, you love the beach and you love to relax on the beach? Okay. How many of you would prefer to skip the beach and go right to the pool? All right. I'm with all of you people. Like perfect for me is like, I want the pool to see the beach. If I could just skip the sand and all everything else. Well, my daughter to my left is exactly like that. Her and I are a lot alike and we both love the pool. The tension comes when my wife and my son love the beach. And so there's a bit of tug of war. Are we going to the pool today? Are we going to the beach today? Well, one of those days we, we were getting up in the morning and uh, we have this phrase in our family where we say, you do you. And what that means is like, Whatever you want to do, there's no judgment today. So if you want to go to the pool, go to the pool. If you want to go to the beach, go to the beach. If you want to just hide from everybody and read a book, there's no judging, no judgment zone. Well, it's a great segue because here in the Sermon on the Mount, the text that we're getting at today is Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 and 2. It's a very famous verse and familiar verse. And Jesus said, don't judge unless you want to be judged. And while John 3.16 may be uh, one of the most famous verses of all time, how many of you know 
people love to quote Matthew 7, 1. Even those who don't follow Jesus. Like saying, Jesus said, don't judge lest you be judged. You do you. That's how we love to live. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to stand together. We're gonna read these first five verses in Matthew chapter seven together as we look at this portion of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Read this with me, if you will. Don't judge others and you will not be judged for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough. Jesus, help us. We need you today because if we're being honest with ourselves, we love to judge. Even your followers have been very guilty of judging. Now, no one needs to hear from me today. We need to hear from you. So that means we need your spirit to enable us. I need your spirit to speak clearly, to speak the truth of your word. And then we need your spirit to open our ears to hear what you're saying and our hearts to be opened to respond to the implication and application of our day-to-day life. Lord, this can be a confusing text. We need to know what you meant when you said that we're not to judge others lest we be judged. So God, bring clarity from your word today which is truth. In the name of Jesus Christ, everyone said? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. How many of you have ever had someone use this verse as a weapon against you? Of course. You know, maybe you have a family member or a friend, maybe there's someone in your growth group, or, or you have spoken into their life Maybe they have made a decision or they did something that went against God's word and and you tried to bring accountability and speak truth into them. And then the reaction was, don't judge me. Don't judge unless you be judged. Well, didn't Jesus say that? Our culture even likes to use that verse as a weapon against the church. Those who don't even believe in Jesus will quote that and say, wait a second, you are not to judge us. This can even be our attitude or some people's attitude when describing genuine love, meaning that true love does not judge. Thinking that genuine love receives me just as I am, including the decisions that I choose to make. Mistakenly thinking that if you judge me, you're not loving me. Basically, you need to let me do me. And don't say anything about the decisions I make. Well, we have to ask ourselves in this verse when Jesus said, don't judge unless you want to be judged, is that really what Jesus meant? Was Jesus really saying that we were not to make any moral assessment of the decisions of those who make decisions around us? Well, the short answer is no. That is not what Jesus was saying. I mean, think about it. If Jesus was saying we were not to make moral assessments of decisions, then he would have been contradicting himself throughout the entire Sermon on the Mount. Earlier in this sermon, he talked about things such as murder, adultery, 
He talked about trustworthiness. He talked about how his followers are to respond to those who are enemies. Jesus himself made moral assessments. And he taught us and he teaches us about what is right and what is wrong. Later in this sermon, he even says that you can recognize a tree by its fruit. Meaning that if someone calls himself a follower of Jesus, you can look at the way they talk and you can look at the way they act and determine whether or not they are a real follower of Jesus. I mean, the last I checked, that is making a judgment. So what then does Jesus mean? Well, let's look at ourselves for a moment. All of us make judgments every day. I want you to think about the judgments you have made just in the last hour or two. Now, there are simple judgments. You made a judgment on what time you needed to leave the house to get here to church. That was a judgment call. Some of you made a judgment about what was the best way to get to church. Hopefully that didn't cause tension as you and your wife were in the car together, but you had to make a judgment of which way to go. Some of you about 30 minutes ago were making a judgment on the music today. And some of you right now are making a judgment about the quality of this sermon. Some of you, when you parked your car and you're walking into church, you saw people walking on the sidewalk or walking through the park and you made a judgment based upon how they looked. When you were driving here today, maybe somebody was going too fast and they cut you off. You made a judgment, not about their driving, but even about that person. Or maybe they were going a little too slow. We make judgments all the time. So if Jesus is not saying that we aren't to make moral assessments or judgments, What is he saying and what does he mean when he says, don't judge and you won't be judged? Well, Jesus is not talking about making judgments. He's talking about passing judgment. And there is a difference. You see, making a judgment is about behavior. It is about a person's actions. Passing judgment is about the person themselves. If I could wrap it up in one sentence, here is what Jesus is saying to us and his followers when he says, don't judge and you won't be judged. Jesus is saying that we are called to show unconditional love, not unconditional approval. His followers, you and I, are called to demonstrate unconditional love to those around us without giving unconditional approval. Let me tell you this too. We are called to love people, to even love people who do things that this book says is wrong. We are called to love people who even do things this book said is wrong. Now, for some of you going, that's impossible. We can't show unconditional love to people who do things that the Bible says is wrong. Let me prove to you it is possible. You and I do it every day. You know how? Because we love ourselves and we do the things the Bible says is wrong. So don't tell me it's impossible not to show unconditional love to people who do things the Bible says is wrong because you and I are guilty of doing things the Bible says is wrong, yet we love ourselves pretty good. How do we do this? Well, we do it when we think the worst of other people, when we generalize and group people together well, they are all like this. And we make a moral assessment or a judgment over a group of people. When we speak only about a person's faults, when we judge a person's entire life based upon their worst moments, man, how often do we do that? We sum up 
the entire life of a person based on one or two bad decisions. I want you to think about one, two, maybe three of the worst mistakes you have made in the last five years. Think about it right now. Probably comes in your mind pretty quick. The worst mistakes you have made in the last five years. Now imagine all of us summing up your entire life based on those mistakes. It would be unfair, wouldn't it? But yet we do that every day to everybody else. It's passing judgment on people. So then how do Jesus' followers live this out? That tension between unconditional love, but yet not giving unconditional approval. The tension between grace and truth. How do we live that out in a culture that says, you do you and don't judge me? How do we live this out when, when we stand for truth and we said, no, this is what God's word said, we are considered demonstrating hatred. Well, one of the best for ways for us to learn is to look directly at the actions of Jesus. Is there any story in the Bible, is there a time where Jesus encountered a situation where he demonstrated unconditional love, but yet did not give unconditional approval of behavior? There is, and it's found in John chapter eight. It's a story that if you're familiar with church at all, you probably know it's the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. If you're not familiar, let me just tell you the story. Jesus was teaching in Jerusalem. He was teaching to a crowd similar to this. We don't know how many people were there, but Jesus is teaching. In the middle of his teaching, the religious leaders of the day, they bring in a woman who was caught in the act of adultery. Now, there weren't rumors about it. It wasn't like, well, we think she did this. They caught her in the act. She was guilty. And imagine, if you will, there's a crowd of people listening to Jesus. He's teaching on whatever. And in the middle of that, they drag this woman, humiliating her, demoralizing her, embarrassing her, and they drag her and they throw her right in front of Jesus and the crowd. And the Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus because the Mosaic law at the time, and they tell Jesus this, what should we do with this woman who was caught in adultery? Because the law says she should be killed. She should be stoned. And that's exactly what the religious leaders wanted to happen. Now, let me interject here just in the midst of this. Something we can learn because we can be guilty of doing something very similar as the religious leaders. The Mosaic law did say that a woman caught in the act of adultery should be shown Stone, but it also said the woman and the man caught. So the question we have to ask is, well, where was the man? The man's nowhere to be found. And sadly and unfortunately, both in society and in the history of the church, we have a tendency to bypass the sins of men and elevate the sins of women when it comes to sexuality. And that's exactly what the religious leaders did. And we can't be found guilty of doing that. It's also interesting to me that they dragged a woman who was caught in the act of adultery, a sexual sin. How many know we have a, time, we have a tendency to draw our eyes and bring attention to sexual sins more than other sins in the church? Someone commits adultery or we find out they're watching pornography or sex before marriage or homosexuality. Woo! That'll get us fired up. But we maybe downplay gossip, lying, cheating, stealing, coveting. Sin is sin. So here this woman is laying before Jesus in the crowd and they're embarrassed and you know the story. What does Jesus do? He kneels down 
probably at the eyesight of the woman. And he begins to take his finger and he just writes in the dust. He writes in the dirt. And we don't know exactly what it is that he wrote. But he stands back up and he looks at the religious leaders who wanted to see this woman killed. And what does he say to them? You who are without sin, cast the first stone. Jesus makes that comment to them. Of course, there's no stones thrown. And he kneels back down by the woman and he continues to write. And one by one, those religious leaders disappear. So now this woman is left, still humiliated, demoralized, embarrassed in front of this crowd of people and Jesus. And the crowd's just waiting to see what Jesus does. And he stands back up. Maybe he takes the chin of the woman and makes eye contact with her. And he says these words to her. He says, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. And then look at these five powerful words. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. Here we see Jesus demonstrating unconditional love to a guilty woman, but not giving her unconditional approval. Notice which came first. Unconditional love came first. And we too are called to demonstrate unconditional love, but not give unconditional approval. Now, for most of us, we agree with that. We understand that. But how many recognize that's really hard to live out? (laughs) How do we do that? How do we love people unconditionally while not approving of decisions that they make, especially those that go against God's word. I think we can look at this interaction between Jesus and this woman caught in the act of adultery, and there's three things that we can take away. Um, And here's the first. We need to show respect. We show respect. You see, the religious leaders wanted to bring shame upon this woman, and they did. They wanted to degrade her publicly. It's interesting that they chose not to address this matter with Jesus privately. It's not that they were wrong, but they chose to make a spectacle out of it. They chose to take a woman who was created in God's image and demoralize her publicly. They could care less about her humanity in that moment. They were making a point. And how often... Do we look at those who do things that we don't approve of and things that the Bible says is wrong and what we want to do is demoralize them. Instead, we don't show respect. Jesus treated her with respect and so too, even to those who do things that the Bible says is wrong, we need to show respect. We also need to demonstrate humility. The religious leaders were prideful people. They were more concerned about passing judgment on a person than they were making the moral assessment of her actions. Their hearts were filled with pride and arrogance, not humility. If there was humility, if there was really concern about the moral assessment, they would have taken, they would have taken this woman to Jesus privately and asked what to do. But their hearts were filled with pride and arrogance. And how many times do we address 
moral assessments, things that go against God's word, but we don't do it with the spirit of humility. We don't try to understand where the other person's coming from. Like the person who cuts us off in traffic. How many of you know we judge others by their actions, but we judge ourselves by our intentions? So we're driving and we're trying to get here to church and someone speeds by, cuts us off. We're like, what the heck, man? Where are you going so fast? But tomorrow morning, you'll be taking your kids to a doctor appointment and you're running 15 minutes behind. You'll cut somebody off and go, oh, 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 I'm sorry. We judge others by their actions. We judge ourselves by their intentions, by our intentions. We need to show respect. We need to show humility. But yes, we also need to stand for truth. Jesus did not ignore the sin of the woman, and neither can we. Jesus said, go and sin no more. But we can't get the order reversed. Some of you who are older, you understand and you see 20, 30 years ago, it's hard for you because there are things in our world that are accepted today that were never accepted 20, 30 years ago. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I have news for you. If we last another 20 to 30 years, there will be things 20 to 30 years from now that are accepted that we today think there's no way would ever be accepted. That is the way of the world. However, God's word, this is why we look to this book. It is never changing. It doesn't matter what country, what language, what people, what decade, what time, social media, communication, all of those things. So we don't look to that for the answer. We look to God's word and we must stand for truth as hard and as awkward as it may be at times, but we must do it in a way that leads with respect and leads with humility while not compromising God's word. It's never changing. The bottom line is this. Jesus said, you will be treated as you treat others. The standard in which you use, Jesus said, will be the standard by which you will be judged. Some of your Bible translations say the measure you use in judging is the measure by which you will be judged. So here's my question. What measuring cup are you using to judge others? My guess is when it comes to judging ourselves, we may use, some of us use teaspoons. Or it's just a pinch. <laughs> but how many know when it comes to the world and culture, oh, I got a bucket of judgment for you. We can back a truckload up in here. Jesus is saying whatever standard, whatever measure you use of grace for other people, that's the measure that's gonna be used for you. So we should be really careful and we should take Jesus' word seriously. So when we look at the world, when we look at our friends and our neighbors and they're doing things that we don't understand and we know is wrong and we take a bucket full of judgment and pour it on them, Jesus is saying, be careful because we all have things in our closet. We all have done things wrong and that same measure that you use to judge others is gonna be used to judge you. We're to show unconditional love, not unconditional approval. Jesus in this section where he's talking about making moral assessments and unconditional love, but not unconditional approval, he lands on this final section that's known as the golden rule, where he says, do to others what you would like them 
to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. If we're being really honest with ourselves, this is not something we have always done well. It's something the church even has failed at. And as we close today, I want to encourage all of us as Christ followers, not just at ACAC, but those who represent, represent the cause of Christ. You and I have been and we can be really guilty of doing the same thing the religious leaders did. And here's what I mean by that. We are very quick to point out the faults and make judgments on those outside of these four walls and ignore the sin in the room, especially when it comes to sexual sin. Sin is sin. We tend to elevate sexual sin. Even with sexual brokenness and sexual sin, we tend to elevate the significance of some sexual sin more than others. Let me give you an example. Jesus, earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, several weeks ago, we talked, remember, about adultery. And the point when Jesus was making about adultery was not the act of adultery as much as it was lust in your own heart. So on this scale of sexuality and sexual sin, it begins with lust. And yeah, we think that's wrong. We think that's bad. We find out someone is watching things they shouldn't watch, pornography. We better get that taken care of. That's not, that's not good. That's sin. And then we may talk about premarital sex. Ooh, better address that. And then we move on maybe. Are they committed adultery? <gasps> and then when we get to homosexuality, ooh, the hair raises on our neck and the gloves come off. See, what happens is too often the world has looked at the church and we've picked out certain sexual sins without ignoring the ones in our church. And Jesus is saying, whatever measure you use, it's gonna be used on you. All of us are sexually broken people. And there is no hierarchy in sexual sin. There's no hierarchy in sin. And we are to show unconditional love. Not unconditional approval, but unconditional love. Would you stand to your feet this morning? There's two types of people in this room. There's grace people and what I call law people, black and white people. <laughs> Some of you, it's just, it's black and white. And you have more of a measuring cup when it comes to grace than you do a bucket. But then there are others of you that you paint more in gray. <laughs> and a bucket isn't enough for grace. And let me tell you, both are wrong. We need to lead with grace and stand for truth, to show unconditional love and not give unconditional acceptance. And we have to live in that tension. And it can be really hard. Let me just tell you, as a pastor here at a church, that's really hard. How do we create an atmosphere where people are loved, especially in diversity, where people are loved, they are accepted, they feel welcomed, 
They can belong here. And then we allow the Holy Spirit to address. We don't show unconditional approval. We stand for God's word. We speak truth even when it goes against culture. But yet we show unconditional love. How many understand we need the grace of God to manage that? So today, Lord, I pray that you would help us, that you would empower us. Lord, there are some that right now are even struggling with this message. They're struggling with, they live maybe at work. Uh, how do I love my coworker when I just can't approve of their behavior? They have a family member that is just living in sin and they're, they're just struggling with what that means to, to walk in love. God, would you give them the grace and the discernment and the wisdom there's no easy answers. Would you help us as a church, our leadership, that this would be a place where we love people as they are, love people where they are, but challenge them to grow and put them in a position where the Holy Spirit can address the sin in their life and move them forward and not give unconditional approval. Help us in that. And let us show grace. Let us use the measuring standard that we want you to use with us. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. It's great discussion for your growth groups. I hope you challenge yourself with that this week. Pray for our missionary and grab that card as you leave today. God bless you.